not putting on the Barry White voice today. This is, this is just how I'm feeling, but it's Palm Sunday. Um, as much as we always, you know, we always preach out of the, the Bible, and um, you always get opportunities to share really cool stories in God's Word, but there's not every single Sunday that we, or I at least, get to talk about Jesus. So, today is, I was not going to pass this opportunity up, um, regardless of how I feel. I feel like in worship already, I just really, grab it, you're good. (laughs) You're you're good. (laughs) Um, I lost it, so like I already got a a lot of the ugly cry out, so (laughs) saved you guys from seeing some of that, but the waterworks have begun, so once you break the seal, right, once you crack the seal, trouble. So just a heads up, if it's contagious, you're going to... It's going to be one of those days. But as we, as we start off, can I just pray for us for a moment? And then Michael, everyone, you, you guys, what a beautiful job. Worship Amen. was phenomenal. Woo. Phenomenal today. Um, let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, today is such a special day. Every day, your mercies are new. But today is a day that we look towards and we reflect on Jesus, your sacrifice. So we commit this time to you. God, I ask that anything that we would have come in with today, any worries, any concerns, uh, any challenges, any obstacles, God, that we would be able to set those down so we can meet you in this place. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, Palm Sunday. Did anyone notice all the palms everywhere? Yeah. Palms galore. We have like the eight-foot palm branches over here as well. (laughs) We couldn't hang those because that's like a safety hazard if it fell on somebody. If you're here during Christmas, you would have remembered the wreaths falling like mid-service, right? (laughs) Dropping down. So, I personally didn't want a palm tree or palm branch falling on me. So... Palm Sunday. Like, what, why do we call it Palm Sunday? What is it about Palm Sunday? Uh, obviously, we're looking towards Easter next Sunday, right? Easter is huge. It's so foundational in our faith. So foundational in, what every, in every aspect of what it means to our faith. But Palm Sunday, what, what is it? And what's with the palms, too, right? There's, like, so much about it. Um, it's all part of Holy Week or Passover week what it's referred to. But what I'd love to touch on today and we want to dig deep in is how does, do we go from the triumphal entry, which is Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem, to five days later, the cheers going from blessed is the king of the Lord to crucify him. We go from the triumphal entry and palm branches being laid down at the, the foot of this donkey that Jesus is riding on and all this excitement and thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming in and surrounding the city and cheering his name, the Messiah has come. But then five days, those same cheers start to change over. And those same cheers and those same crowds find their way, not in the city of Jerusalem, but on this hill called Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. 
What could change in five days? For some of us that may not know what Passover is, Passover is a celebration. It's really of the liberation of the Jews from Egypt. Um, Some of you might remember in the book of Exodus, the plagues that God had sent on the Egyptian empire, excuse me. Um, And this final one was that God would pass over the homes of the Jews. And so hence the name Passover, and that's where we get that from. But it's a week-long festival. That's, it's actually this spiritual pilgrimage that takes place in Jerusalem. People come from all over the place. So Jerusalem, even in Jesus' day, there would have been twenty to 30,000 people in this city. But for, for Passover, you're thinking like upwards of 130,000, 140,000 people just in the city. So you can imagine the influx of people, what's going on. There's this, there's this buzz going around. People come in, and this is a big, big tradition. On the Friday of this week, the families all take aside a young lamb without blemish, and they all go to the temple and they sacrifice the lamb. And this is their sacrifice to God, just to remember that God passed over their homes, that he spared them, that he is their God, and that he is faithful. So there's a lot behind this. There's something else that some of you may not know, and that's that the Sadducees, which were religious leaders at the time, they they actually believed that the Messiah would come four days before the Passover day. And they were so stuck on this. They really, really believed this with everything, even though year after year he hadn't come yet. They were so expectant that he would come this next year that what they would do is four days before Passover, they'd actually open the temple gates and leave the temple gates open so that when the Messiah would come, he would just walk right in and take his rightful place in the temple. It just sounded perfect. Of course, because of that being under Roman rule, like all the Roman soldiers would be at like a higher alert. Because there's this buzz going around that people are celebrating, right? But then there's also this messianic expectation, messianic being from the root word of Messiah, which is the coming king, right, that we're referring to Jesus as. So it's just referring to the, the king who's coming again, who we now know as Jesus. So because of this, there's this expectation, and the people are coming from all over the place. If something was going to go down, this was the time. There's hordes and hordes of people everywhere, coming from all the land of Judea and all over the place, making their way into Jerusalem for this very moment. I was so excited. You can see I ripped my notes up earlier. Zach was behind me. I picked it up. It was all ripped the page right out. (laughs) We instantly started laughing at each other. Um, So they're on high alert. Everything going on kind of paints this picture for you, right? But now you have Jesus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And then inside Galilee, he started to have people. There's a talk about a buzz, a buzz following him. People are like, who is this guy? He's healing people left and right. He raised a man from the dead, and the guy is walking by him. Like you're starting to see all of this stuff go on, and they're making their way into this city for such a time as this. Not ironic, not coincidental. God knew exactly what he was doing. 
He wanted everybody to be there because he didn't want one person to miss out. I'm going to be reading out of the book of Luke. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke with me, chapter 19. I'm going to read, I'm going to start in verse, um, verses 28, I believe. Yeah, let's just start off. I'm going to go 28 through 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, they, excuse me, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. So first and foremost, I wonder if some of you are reading this and wondering, where's the palms? There's still no palms in here. You're right. You're actually very right. Um, Only in the book of John does it actually specifically say palm branches. So... Luke actually just brushes over it. He's like, that's not the point. It's not that important. (laughs) Pay attention to everything else. But Matthew and Mark both refer to branches of plants, but there's um, there's these four species of plants that they use during this festival time. So it would have been common for them to use these palm branches, okay? Back to verse 30, though. When Jesus tells them to go to this village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. So they go. How spooky would that have been? They go and they find this colt, exactly like he said. And not just that. Colts wouldn't have been cheap, and donkeys wouldn't have been cheap. So the owners are sitting there, and they're going to ask, what are you doing? Why do you need this? And then they just say, the Lord needs it. And the people were okay with it. Like, that's pretty wild to think. What's crazy, another layer of this. See, 500 years prior to this, God spoke through the prophet Zechariah. And he described this exact moment taking place. In Zechariah 9.9, if you want to swap over to that, we read verse 9 only. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Zechariah foreshadowed this very moment that we just read about taking place. So Jesus, this wasn't just some random thing where he's like, I need a donkey to ride through the city. He knew exactly what he was doing to fulfill every single prophecy about him all at the right time. So for religious leaders even, I think about them on the sidelines and they know the scripture. So they start to see this and they're like, what is going on? This could be really sacrilegious, right? 
But Jesus didn't even bat an eye. No hesitation, no wavering, nothing, right? He just went for it. He knew exactly what he needed to do when he needed to do it. It's funny because we read that prophecy in Zechariah and it says like lowly riding on a donkey, right? And I know for me, for years, I always thought, I was like, oh yeah, it's Jesus, so sweet. He's lowly and riding on a donkey, you know, couldn't afford a horse or whatever it was. (laughs) He's Jesus, you know, he's got to be really, you know, just flying under the radar. But the lowly portion had nothing to do with the donkey. It's crazy. To us, in our culture, we think that that's, it makes sense. Jesus was lowly because of this donkey, but in that culture at that very time, the people designated him as the king because he was on a donkey. Interesting, right? See, this approach that, that Jesus made into Jerusalem on a donkey like this, this was actually high treason to the Roman Empire. Wow. It's kind of mind-blowing to think about this, but, the, but donkeys back in that culture were actually ridden by royalty, wow. if you believe. Huh. We always think of a horse, right? A steed or a stallion coming in and the king coming in, which is true, but that's only at times of war when they would come in and they conquered someplace. Would they come in on a, on a horse? A donkey was a beast of burden, right? Strictly beasts of burden. But they're animals of peace. So a leader, if they were to present a peace treaty, they would come into a city on a donkey. If a king, if a ruler was to usher in a time of peace, they would come in on none other than a donkey. So Jesus, in this very moment, came in to usher in peace. Verse 36 says, As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Also palm branches. Include that for you. So I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you some more context. Is that cool? Really yeah. want to paint a picture for all of us this morning so we can fully grasp and understand what Palm Sunday is when we come around to celebrate it so we can really understand the, the deeper meaning. So palms, like what's the big deal? Why palm branches aside from that might have been what the tree was that was next to him, right? Right by the side of the road. Palms signified triumph and victory. See, Romans gave palm branches and palm crowns they'd form to champions of their games. Also, whenever they would win in like a military, like a battle or a war, they would use palm branches in the, in the celebration of it, in the whole succession of the parade. In Judaism, palm branches signified peace. Palms would be laid before kings and laid before princes during moments and times of coronation when a new king or a new prince was to be crowned, palm branches would be laid in front of them as an act of reverence. So you see the symbolism here. People laying this down in front of this man coming in on the donkey. Verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, a whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. This one's for free. I had to dig around for this, and I didn't realize this. This is something, even me, for studying this for a while, was new to me. In Zechariah 14, 500 years before this even, he talks about this very moment as well. He talks about the feet of the Messiah standing on the Mount of Olives. 
crazy. But then if you go fast forward, fast forward into Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus ascends into heaven from this very place. And then an angel comes. Remember, an angel comes to the disciples. He's like, what are you guys staring at? Staring at a cloud. Like he's gone. And the angel actually says he will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Layer upon layer, Jesus was like, there's going to be no question that I am the coming king. I'm going to do anything and everything possible so you can understand this story is way deeper than you could even imagine. So him coming down the Mount of Olives wasn't just, let's just turn right by here because it's convenient. He's like, this is a statement. This is a statement that the kingdom of heaven is here, that I am here. Massive statement, like almost like a, like a big post he's putting in the ground and saying, look it, I am good on my word. I am faithful. In verse 38, we see the chanting of when he, Jesus walks through and you could see just, and even if you imagine the picture of people lying their, their cloaks down the aisles and the palm branches everywhere, setting them down before the donkey as he comes in and they're cheering and they're yelling and they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is out of Psalms 118.26 that they're pulling this. They, this is like everyone is seeing what's going on here. They're like, this is the Messiah I grew up hearing about that was actually going to come. Our people have waited years and years and years for this moment, and it's actually taking place. We're finally going to be taken away from the Roman emperor, you know, and the empire. We're actually going to be free. We're going to be liberated. We're going to be these people that God has talked about for generations. They would be excited. They'd be so ecstatic. They'd be going crazy. I'd probably be throwing palm branches around, high-fiving people if, if I was over there. I don't know about you guys, but what a moment. So much so that the Pharisees, who are religious leaders as well, see this and they're like, no, no, this needs to stop. We already want to kill this guy because he's going to create like mutiny. Something's going down because of this Jesus. Like, he can't be God. This can't be him. This has to stop. So what do they do? Verse 39 tells us that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I love how Jesus responds to them. He said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. How cool is that? If they keep quiet, even all of creation will sing my praises. All of creation will announce that I am here, that the king has arrived. Church, this was the moment. It was far greater than just a parade going into Jerusalem. This was the massive, this moment where the kingdom of heaven was going to begin to be ushered in. The kingdom that we heard about for so often that we, we for us it's easy because we read about it all throughout the Old Testament. I wonder if you understand that Jesus put a lot of effort in keeping the fact that he was Messiah under wraps. Because right before this, a demon-possessed person starts shouting and declaring that he's the son of God, remember? And what does Jesus tell that demon? He says, be quiet. Not just because you're loud, not just because you know, you're causing a ruckus. Be quiet because Jesus is like, no, the time is not yet. 
So he tells them to be quiet and think about it. So many times he heals people. He healed the lepers. All these people, he says, don't say a thing. Just go back and show your family. When he healed people, just don't tell people what, what went down, right? Even when Jairus, when Jesus raises his little girl from the dead, he's like, just keep it between us. He just brought a few people in the room with him. And then remember that conversation that he has with the disciples. He says, who do you think I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. Scripture tells us right after that, Jesus said, he actually warned them not to share that with anyone, that he was the Messiah. So Jesus did a tremendous job and put so much effort in keeping that low key until this very moment. This is the moment when he said, no, I'm not going to do it. If they stop shouting it, the rocks will cry out. This is the moment. This is the moment that I have come. In so many ways, it's as if this is the personal presentation of the king of Israel in God's eyes. I'm doing this when there's the biggest crowd possible. I've waited. He's like, I've been so patient and loving, but this is the moment where I show you that I am your God and I am near. See, Jerusalem wasn't just a holy city or the uh, city of David. It was a city of destiny. The city of his destiny. We're going to leave... Excuse me, we're going to read verses 41 through 44 now. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus wept. If you, even you, had only known. What does he mean? He wasn't saying like, he's stupid people. You're ridiculous. He wept. He saw what was going on and he started to cry. Because see, what they did in this moment is that they accepted Jesus as their king, but on their own terms. They thought of David and they thought of the amazing military leader that David was. And they're like, that's what we need. We need someone that's going to sweep in here and just take over and show the Roman Empire who we are. We are God's chosen people. This is the time we need a ruler like this. And when Jesus is coming in, yes, crown him king, but he's going to be this amazing ruler, right? This amazing politician, this amazing military leader. But no, not at all. Isn't it ironic that we, uh, we actually do the exact same thing that God because we want God to do things the way that we see them being worked out best, right? So often. Just like they did in this moment, God, we want you to come in. Jesus, we welcome you. You could be our king, but this is what we need. 
and we do that frequently. I know I do it. God, God, I need you to do this. I need you to work a miracle, but this is how it needs to go down. Because it fits my narrative, right? This is how I need you to move, because you're good, and you're a good father, and all good and perfect gifts come from above, right? I could use scripture too. But like, this is how I want it. So you need to do it this way, God, because that's inconvenient for me. And I don't want it to work like that because this is how I want it. Is it just me? No. No. Come on. <laughs> Old Testament constantly points to a coming king coming to the city of David, right? So, but these, you know, to, a, to an extent, you can't fault the people because they would have heard scripture. They would have seen this. They would have expected this coming king, this mighty ruler, like, He came in the line of David, the son of David, right? That's what he's referred to. So he's got to be this amazing ruler. David was good. Like they won so many battles and all this stuff with David. So like it's going to be powerful. This king is going to be powerful. But see, when Jesus comes on the scene and he marches in to the city of David, he doesn't come as a warrior or as a military king. He comes as the Prince of Peace. Completely different. See, people desire Jesus to liberate them from the uh, bondage of the Roman Empire. But Jesus came to liberate them from spiritual bondage. Something much deeper. They had no clue. No clue. It's funny because this is the same thing. I'm reading this something. I'm like, oh my gosh, I do this too. Because they, it's like they don't understand fully what's going on until hindsight. Especially as disciples, right? No one fully understands until hindsight. And that's when they're like, I kind of forgot that portion of the prophecy. Right. I was just really banking on that first part. You're going to come and you're going to rule. Ah, don't we do that too, though? I know I do. It's not till hindsight that I could look back at things and say, God, you kind of did know what you're doing. I was definitely questioning you at times, right? When we're going through things or things aren't working out the way that we've anticipated, and all of a sudden we look and we're like, you can't be a part of this. This is not from you. Because this surely isn't going my way. So this can be from you, God, right? And then hindsight, we look back and we're like, wow. Even though I might have gone through tough times, I might have gone through the fire, I might have gone through some turmoil, some challenges, you were actually there with me by my side the entire time. It's easy for us also to think of this portion of Scripture, right? I picture Jesus kind of looking at Jerusalem, And he starts weeping and he's saying, like, even just if you knew, you're missing it. I'm standing right in front of you and you don't understand. Have you even heard this said before that people say, you know, well, love is blind and that was his love for the city. But is it? I'd like to challenge that thought. I don't think love is blind. I think love 
sees all that's going on and chooses to love relentlessly even with what's going on. Even because of what's going on, Jesus still chose to love, even though he knew what was going to happen on that road to Calvary. He knew how people were going to go from cheering him to spitting upon him, to calling for him to be crucified. Remember to, you know, free Barabbas instead of him, a zealot, a man that killed under the name of God. And he knew this was going to go down, but he still shed tears. There wasn't loads and loads of moments in Scripture where we see Jesus crying. There are are very profound moments for us to see the heart of God. And that's what we see here. We see perfect love. We see divine love. Divine love, which is far-seeing. It looks past all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our screw-ups, everything, all of our poor decisions, and it sees our potential. It sees who we truly are, who God created us to be. Amen? Amen. That's the kind of love that we celebrate at Easter. That's the kind of love that we're talking about when we see these palms and we understand what this weight was, that this is a love that God brought. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's this love. That's the love of Easter that we are going to be celebrating next week. That love. A love that despite everything and despite us turning our backs on God frequently, infrequently, whatever it looks like, despite all of our stuff, despite all of our insecurities, our failures, despite our selfishness, despite our fear, despite our doubt, that love is recklessly pursuing us day by day by day. But what does this all mean, right? Like, what does this all mean for us? I knew I grew up, and for the longest time I heard this story, and what it meant for me was, well, at one point Jesus is going to come back, and then we just we go to heaven, and we're sweet. Right? <laughs> all good. Like, is it a waiting game? Is that what life is? I think so many p- people believe so. We've had this encounter, and now we just wait. And he's going to come back because he's faithful. Amen. He's faithful. He's coming back. But is that really all? There's so many beautiful moments and beautiful pictures in this story. I think about Jesus on the donkey, the beast of burden carrying Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God, about to carry the burdens of the world on this donkey. What about the week of Passover on the very Friday, which we now refer to as Good Friday? That's actually the day that the families would take their lambs and sacrifice them. Mind you, that's the very same day the Lamb of God was sacrificed for the world. That same Friday. What does it mean? What can we do as a result? What are we doing as a result of this? I really had to ask myself this. I think last year I really started to dig deep and I'm like, what am I doing? Because there's something that Jesus did. When I see these palm branches, it reminds me like, it wasn't just a one-off. Like Jesus was doing something. He was actually ushering in the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of people sit there and they're like, well, no, 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 no. Like that's at the second coming. In its fullness it is. 
But he didn't just like die and say, see you later. Just keep a lookout. Y'all be good now. Right? What are we doing as believers, as full representations of the living Jesus Christ, flesh and blood, skin on? What are we doing to usher in this kingdom of heaven to people around us? What are we doing? How are we carrying this message? And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't find a better way than to read this quote out of this book by N.T. Wright. He's the Bishop of Durham, great writer and theologian. He said this message that we're talking about, about the cross. He said the message that every act of love, every deed done in Christ and by the Spirit, every work of true creativity, every time justice is done, peace is made, families are healed, temptation is resisted, true freedom is sought and won, that this very earthly event takes its place within a long history of things which implement Jesus' own resurrection and anticipate the final new creation and act as signposts of hope, pointing back to the first and on to the second. We have an opportunity to do so much more. We have an opportunity for people to experience Jesus through us. So I'm going to bring the worship team on up. Why don't you guys come on up? We can actually be these signposts of hope for people. We diminish that all the time when we look at ourselves and we're like, no, I don't maybe know enough theology or I don't maybe don't go to church enough. I don't serve enough, whatever it is. No, God can't really use me. I'm not an eloquent speaker. We'll take you know, pages out of Moses' list of reasons why he couldn't be used by God. And we know how that worked out. But what are we doing to allow people to encounter Jesus through us? I wrote a list. I'm going to be, try and be strong, Craig. Be strong. I wrote a list of names. I wrote a list of names of God. I wanted to read them through for you if I could. Because I think that we can do so much more as a family, as a church, to allow people to experience the love of God. Because even my list, as lengthy as it is, Jesus is so much more. There's so many more facets about his love his character, his embrace, and who he is, his heart for us, then we actually let off. He's altogether lovely. He's almighty. He's the Alpha and Omega. The author and perfecter. He's the beginning and the end. He's the bread of life. He's the bright morning star. He is Christ. He is counselor. He is cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. He's the captain of my salvation. That's in Hebrews 2.10 if you think I'm, that's heresy. He's the door. 
He's the deliverer. He's the desire of all nations. Eternal life, everlasting Father. He's the first and the last. He's, a, he's faithful and true. He's friend. He's gracious. He's glorious. He's a good shepherd. He's a great high priest. He's the hope of glory. The Holy One of God. The I Am. Emmanuel. He's an intercessor. He's the joy of my soul. He's the King of Kings. He's a Lord of Lords. The Lamb of God, the Lily of the Valley. The Mighty God. Messiah, Master, Mediator. He's the Nazarene. He's the only begotten. He is our peace. He's precious. He's our physician. He's our protector. He's the protector of my soul. He's the quiet in the storm. He's my redeemer. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the resurrection of life. He's my rock. He is sovereign. He's the son of God. He's the son of righteousness. He's the true vine. He is truth. He's the unspeakable gift. He's the victorious conqueror. He's wonderful. He's the word of life. He is the way. I cheated on this and I just put an X. So bear with me. He's extraordinary. He's the, he is the excellent one. He's the same yesterday and today. He's the zeal of my heart. And in front of you, I say with so much pride, he is my savior as he is yours.